on this episode of AV Week, getting help outside your geographic area, what it takes to pull off major projection mapping projects, and when to keep secrets and when to not sign an NDA. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 366, recorded Friday, August 31st, 2018. Don't hurry. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by... Sure. Because every voice matters. And by... Extron Electronics. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to talk about the news and information we have gathered this week. Uh, one of the nicest and, and one of my uh, gentlemen I, I know and uh, one of my mentors in, in business and AV. His name is Brock McGinnis and he is with Westbury National. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me back, uh, Tim. Always a pleasure to be on AV Week. Absolutely, sir. Appreciate your time. Also with us uh, is Big Nate, Nate Schneider. Uh, he's a AV professional in his, in his own right, but he also has a, a very fabulous podcast on AV of his own. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me, Tim. Look forward to uh, talking shop today. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Nate's podcast is AV Shop Talk, so that was very nice. Uh, also with us, uh, <laughs> I I, it was very nice. Yeah, very, very. You get, you get that right now. Um, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to be spending a little bit of time with next week. His name is Dennis Holzer, and he is from Powerhouse. Welcome, sir. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right, guys, so uh, kicking off here, um, an article that we had uh, actually from uh, from Commercial Integrator um, talking about getting getting help from, you know, outside of your network. How about that? Outside of your area. Um is written by John Sormer, and John talks about a number of different ways you can get help, you know, outside of your area. But one of the things that I want to talk about, and Brock, I want to start with you on this, is defining success, right? Defining the success criteria of a subcontractor, which is what, kind of what we're talking about is is making sure that expectations are written down, you know, whether that's contract and depending on how your how big your business is and, and how you guys want to do it. But, you know, making sure that the expectations are written down and, you know, they fulfill it and you fulfill it. Westbury has kind of been on, on both sides of this. So how do you guys make sure that, that both sides are happy when, once the project is done? Dealing with a subcontractor is uh, identical to dealing with a client. Uh, you have to have a scope of work and a defined set of technical expectations. And, you know, the same kind of document that a consultant might write uh, for a tendered bid project uh, in terms of technical expectations, or we might agree with, with a client in terms of exact scope of work and who's doing what and when and where and how and why, uh, is what we use with a, a subcontractor. And when we act as uh, subcontractors for other companies uh, in the Toronto uh, and actually across Canada, um, we expect exactly the same thing. We don't want a bill of materials and a set of plans. Uh, we want to know where our work starts and where it stops, where the prime contractors work uh, starts and stops, and exactly what's expected of us. And if everybody goes into a relationship, uh, knowing what is expected of you, it makes that relationship a lot easier to manage. 
Well, let me ask this because you you said using you know using a subcontractor is, is a lot like your relationship with your client. How then do you handle what will inevitably come down the pipeline? Not every project, but a lot of projects have change orders, right? Is that yes. the same kind of project process then when it comes to the sub? Exactly the same process. Uh, the uh, the client makes a change, uh, and if they were giving it to us as a prime contractor, we're going to uh, adjust the bill of materials and the labor requirements and, and potentially the time uh, for completion. Uh, we have to go through the same process with a, uh, with a subcontractor. And typically when we do subs, when we use subs, um, we're on a fixed uh, price basis, defined scope of work, defined bill of materials, uh, defined execution process, and a defined price. And so uh, if it's going to take them more time, we need to be paying them more money. All right. Uh, Nate, same kind of question here is, is how do you guys work around it and, and work them into your projects and getting them on site? Yeah, you know, I, I liked what Brock said. I agree 100%. It, you know, the scope of work, having a clearly defined expectation of what you expect. Um, and I think he also hit on relationship too. I think you know, the project managers that are down in the trenches and on site and kind of overseeing the, the project, I think they have to have maybe slightly different mindset when they're working with full-time employees compared to, you know, a, a contractor. And I think it's just a different, a different relationship to manage. And, um, you know, I guess if a project manager is used to working with a full-time crew all the time, and then all of a sudden they hire a contractor for the first time, there's definitely new things to think about. It's just a different type of relationship to manage. I think that's probably the best way I, I would describe it just from my experiences in the past. And um, sometimes you might have to uh, do different things to hold people accountable for what they agreed to, or there can be gray lines at, at times. And unlike you're on a job site and it's the 11th hour, it's not quite all buttoned up. A full-timer, uh, a full-time employee is probably motivated to get that done whereas a contractor may or may not be. And, and it, I think it goes back to the scope of work and the relationship and everybody understands, you know, what, what the goal is. But I think it goes really to the, to the project manager. It falls kind of on their shoulders to wrap their head around. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, Powerhouse Alliance uh, Dennis is, a, is the head of, is a nationwide group of, of folks. You guys have, have dealers connected all over the country. Is it something that you guys can help, uh, you know, connect, you know, folks in, in you know, Boise, Idaho with, with somebody in St. Louis? Absolutely. It's, it's one of our big jobs that we are doing because we have, specifically in the builder business now, where you have a builder who you go back several years, didn't want to be involved in the electronics aspect of any building. Now, all of a sudden, because compression has hit them too in, in the profitability side, now, you know, they're more, you know, willing to listen. I think the one, we look at this, obviously, because of what we do, uh, we're on the flip side. We're more on the product and the training side from Nate and Brock. And, you know, one of the biggest dilemmas we find consistently is there is a defined project. There's a defined materials. Yeah, there's defined labor and there's a defined cost to get a product done. The biggest problem we find is that if you take 10 installers to get from A to Z, they may do it five or six different ways. And that's where we run into the biggest problem helping installers because they say we got to get from here to here and we look at some of the things and when they're on a fixed labor or they're on a fixed cost, I hate to say it, but sometimes they want to, you know, cut costs in their own way, the way they get from A to Z. Um, so I think one of the things we 
try to tell people when we're, we're matching up people is be very specific, not only in what the goal is and what the expectations are, but we go as far as to add, what is the road you're going to use to get from A to Z? Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, uh, our next story here comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. Um, the largest permanent digital projection mapping system uh, is coming up in Chicago, actually, just, just north of me. Um, it's actually being put onto uh, the Mercantile, uh, the Mercantile Smart Building uh, there in, in Chicago. It's put together uh, by some folks out of, out of uh, San Francisco called the Obscura Digital Working, uh, this Obscura Digital. Uh, working in conjunction with Chicago Arch architects, uh, Valero, DeWalt, Train, and Associates. And here's the, the quote I actually want to bring up here. Um, they're doing this as part of an $8.5 million renovation, and they're using 34 Christie Boxer 4K30 projectors. Now, this would be beyond any job I've done. Um, Brock and, and Westbury have put together a, a, very, a bunch of very nice um, ice projection mappings. My personal favorite still is is the Toronto Blue Jays, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, even though I'm a Blues fan. Still one of the, the slickest uh, projection ice mapping I've seen done. Nate, we'll start with you on this. When it comes to jobs of this size, and I, I, it's, I guess it's a bit like the elephant, how on earth do you take this apart and how do you get something like this done? How I would do it. So I've, I've been a designer for a long time. I've never, you know, done a system exactly like this doing projector mapping per se but my first thing after reading this article was looking up the specs on the on the Christie boxer and I'm like okay first things first that's over 5,000 pounds of just projector that you have to install somewhere um, across the river so they've they've obviously got at least space across the hall so I guess that's the first thing I'd look at is what space do you have to look at um, to do this install how do you pull this thing off um, and, you know, power requirements. And I, I go down the typical design type of mentality to pull this up. The other big thing is service. Because, I mean, this is going to have a huge impact, you know, for people uh, that are walking down the Riverwalk in Chicago and they're projecting across this river. Um, it's also going to be a huge opportunity uh, to see a blue screen of death if um, things <laughs> go wrong. So, you know, I, I would be heavily focused on the maintenance of a permanent install like this and making sure all six of those bulbs are replaced well before they get close to dying and, um, you know, having staff nearby that can service it as needed to, to make sure. And I think they talked about they would, it would be running, um, you know, not seven days a week, but like four days a week or something like that. So it, it would be turned over every week for routine maintenance. So I think mean, those are the things that I would think about. Mm, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, Dennis, from, from your standpoint, uh, you know, how do you get manufacturers? The, the, this project used Christie, but there's you know, other manufacturers as well that could have been used in this project. How do you get uh, manufacturers on board to help in not just the design, but also the installation and, and as Nate said, some of the maintenance? You know, one of the things we do, first of all, is we reach out to our vendors and make sure they are a part of it. And, you know, this is going to sound funny, but make sure they want to be a part of it. You know, just as he said, there are there are some guys who um, might look at this and say, well, you know, this is this could be either a great thing or, man, this could look like a disaster if something goes wrong. Any maintenance issues, you know, in this thing. So, you know, the first thing we do, as I said, we reach out to our manufacturers. We ask if they want to be part of it. I'm a stickler on things like this. 
Um, it's not individual conversations. If I'm using multiple vendors to do something, I'm getting them all together in one place. So there's no I said, he said, they said. Uh, everybody hears the same thing, and we and we move forward. And we, and again, I, I'm I'm tougher than most on this, but I'm not moving forward until I feel very comfortable that we're all on the same page. All right, Mr. Uh, Mr. McKinnis, we'll end with this conversation with you again because Brock's one of the folks I, I, I pick his brain when it comes to projection mapping. What are the what are the do's and don'ts and what are the gotchas when it comes to a system like this and, and not just from a, a projection mapping standpoint but also a size and scope? Don't hurry. Um, there's a tremendous amount of planning uh, that needs to go in, into it uh, from both the content perspective uh, and uh, from the technical execution perspective. Um, generally, Dennis, it's, uh, if you're talking about $3 million worth of projectors, it's not all that difficult to get the manufacturer involved. They're typically quite excited about that. Um, but this is a, uh, it's a complex, uh, it's a complex job. And uh, one of the things that somebody has had to do is calculate the amount of light that is required. Uh, in order to cover that uh, apparent two and a half acres. And I find it interesting because uh, from our perspective, Tim, the best projection mapping in the NHL and NBA right now is at the Pepsi Center in Denver. Um, and we used 16 of those same projectors on a hockey rink uh, uh, that they're using 34 of them on a building that is 500 and something feet wide by 25 stories high. So if you do the math on that, um, you know, one of, one of my first questions is, have they got enough projectors? Uh, the second thing that um, the, uh, the article had a, uh, a, uh, the position, of a kind of a graphic with the position of the projectors on it. And, um, oh my gosh, uh, they are not in the center of the building. Uh, and so some of those projectors, uh, you know, the, the kind of uh, warp, factor that is going to be involved in order to uh, to make that happen is going to be at the extreme end of what the projector is capable of. And so the Obscura folks will have spent a great deal of time um, on on that kind of technical planning uh, and, uh, and analysis, I hope, um, and they're not making it up uh, when they get there. Um, Power, uh, certainly the availability of power is one thing, a robust networking. This is the kind of project that when we do it, we, uh, we have live IP monitoring uh, on it uh, at all times when it's operating. Uh, we are monitoring and able to monitor uh, the back end of the equipment uh, so that, uh, that we uh, can uh, make adjustments on the fly as required or have the kind of diagnostics if something does go wrong. Um, the, uh, uh, we were involved supplying Christie projectors to the Canadian uh, Parliament buildings, uh, which are only about 80 feet narrower than the uh, merchandise mark, uh, because I, when they said they were going to be the largest in the world, I actually went and checked. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's a complicated thing, and it, invo it involves live operators, and, and, uh, and, and it's not for the faint of heart. We've seen an awful lot of companies think that they can do this. Uh, companies like Christie Digital have had a, added software programs uh, for the blending, uh, their Mirage, and, uh, and we think those programs are great, but, but they are uh, not as good as people 
who've done this before um, and uh, and done it well and done it more than once or twice. Uh, so it, it's uh, this is going to be an interesting project. I would love to be there for the opening. Uh, we uh, we just lit up some buildings in a uh, in a smaller city in Ontario uh, uh, called Cambridge. Uh, to great extent, we had to build an outdoor structure. Uh, this is uh, uh, this is something that will operate through the Canadian winter. Um, it is completely uh, unmanned or unpersoned uh, and runs automatically and and runs. At a, I think it's maybe just weekends in the winter, uh, but lights up the front of a uh, of a hundred and fifty year old library building, and it's it's very cool. And there's audio that goes with it. We have wireless audio through a a big town square, and I certainly know the amount of time that our folks spent planning that before it was executed, and the uh, the huge hardware, the cooling and and uh, heating in the winter, and air handling and all of the factors that go into uh, into something like this magnificent opportunity for for someone in the AV industry to be involved with a project of this magnitude and uh, those folks uh, good on them they're uh, they're going to have a good time. Well, I actually want to pick your brain one more time about uh, the logistics of doing an outdoor system like this because you, you mentioned um, the the map that's on on the article that, that'll be on on the site. You can take a look at it. But it's across the street, right? Not, not, not to be silly, it's almost obvious that it's across the street, but it's across the street in downtown Chicago where, you know, traffic happens and, and things of that nature. What else do, do you guys have to do when it comes to a system like this where you are projection mapping, on, mapping onto a building? Mm-hmm. What do you, who do you have to, to, to kind of coordinate with to make sure that the signal isn't interrupted? Um... Well, you're, we're we're not worried about the signal. You know, the players the players will be right there. Uh, there would be a lot of municipal permissions that well, maybe, are, maybe not are, are required. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I shouldn't said signal. But but the the beam, the the light from the projector, that's not interrupted. I guess. Hmm. Uh, we can, yes, we can't control the helicopters. Um, it, but uh, but but I'm sure that it was quite the positioning was quite carefully chosen. That you know, trucks aren't in the way. They're not. You know, nothing is going to be driving by, and if it is, uh, it's only for a moment. Um, and and who knows? Maybe maybe somebody clever will come up with a way of interrupting that uh, uh, that beam and getting themselves in the newspaper. But uh, but generally, uh, no, that's that's not the consideration. Is the projector going to work? Is their power? Is their content? Is their network? Um, and uh, and uh, and will it be too distracting to traffic? Uh, because that is certainly, you know, we have some regulations here about where people can be distracted and where they can't. Uh, you don't necessarily want drivers looking at the building as they're uh, driving down the street adjacent to it. Um, that uh, uh, that can be counterproductive from a whole bunch of ways, uh, different ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, last story here comes to us from SCN and AV Network, and it comes to us from uh, a a familiar source here at AV Nation. Uh, Bradford Ben writes about loose thinking ships, and what he's talking about is his propensity uh, for NDAs. Quote, unquote, I prefer that NDAs be signed by all parties involved, even if it's company-wide. The main reason is that I feel that if it helps all the people understand the seriousness of the agreement, if everyone does not understand the requirements, how can the conditions be met? Bradford also goes on to talk about how you should not assume that on the other end, in other words, the, the other parties or the other companies signing the NDA, 
that that they know that they owe the NDA or they know what they're talking about. And really, there's a couple different things. Bradford works for uh, a significant company, a Fortune 100 company, and and you know they're in the process of, you know, they're they're they do things you know constantly that require you know not necessarily secrecy, but make sure that that everybody understands that this is not for public knowledge yet. Dennis, I'm going to start with you on this because this is not something that you're unfamiliar with, what being you know where you are. Um, how do you make sure that, that, you know, everybody, not only within powerhouse, the powerhouse Alliance, but also some of your dealers, making sure that they are on the same page is making sure that, you know what, this is not, this is not for public consumption until such and such date. So, you know, it's, it's a real interesting topic for me, starting with both of my daughters are lawyers. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so I, I am typically schooled and hear from them both that dad you're not a lawyer um but you know the the one thing i think we've gotten too um open with this and and making people sign everywhere you know one of the things i often get tim is where a company comes to me and asks me to sign it because they want to show me a product that they're working on and the problem is you most of those agreements some of the companies right now are getting bold enough which i will not sign where they're asking for three to five years. And, you know, my point is that I'll give you six months, um, but the way technology moves, they have a product that they feel today is gonna be something different than other people have. It is so open-ended because if somebody comes out with that, if I sign one for hypothetically in six months and another vendor comes out with something like that in three months, you know, I potentially could be sued for giving up information, even though I may never have spoken to that company. So I think one of the, we're getting too broad with these things. And I think there is a place for them, but they have to be well-defined just like our opening topic here. Um, if it's, if it does require this, then there needs to be a starting point, a finishing point and the highway of which you get from A to Z needs to be written down. They're all, I, I just, you know, and I'll say the company, but I did one with Sony not too long ago. Um, it was so broad that it, in, in my, I, I laughed at the lawyer and I said it encompasses the world. Um, and I would not sign it. And, you know, this took about three weeks. It went from nine pages down to ultimately went down to a page and a half. Um, so I think we're getting carried away with what we're doing here. I think there is a need at times for it, but it has to be a lot more specific and targeted than the ones they're, they're really putting out right now. Uh, Mr. McKinnis, when it comes to, to NDAs and making sure that, that, you know, not only with your clients, but also sometimes manufacturers approach integrators and ask them to take a look at project products and, and give feedback. Does that make sense for integrators to, to be able to, to kind of have a sneak peek at what's coming down the, the pipeline? Yeah, we, we don't care. Um, you know, about a manufacturer's NDA, it's uh, really what they're typically looking for is some feedback on cost and performance, and and uh, they're doing a little clever pre-marketing, um, you know, and, and making you feel part of a special club by giving you a sneak peek. But we're signing NDAs with uh, with clients uh, every day. The you know the people at XYZ Corp, they don't want us talking about anything that we learn in the course of executing their project. And of course, in the in the government world, uh, it, there are things that are more serious than NDAs. Um, and and 
you know, we, we have scenarios where only certain people in the company can access data. That data is not stored on our regular system. It's not stored in Dropbox where we normally store things. It's stored someplace else. Uh, only certain people have passwords um, and have uh, the secret level clearances. It, it's, uh, Brad makes a really good point about uh, the essence uh, in this social media uh, look at me world about the necessity of NDAs and about everybody uh, talking about them because the, you, know, you, you get an employee who's working on a really cool project and they decide they're gonna tell their mom on Facebook uh, about what they're working on and all of a sudden it is out there in the world and uh, as an employer, we're liable for their actions. Um, and and it's, it's a big deal. Well, real, real quickly before we, we get to Nate on this, um, you, you said that there are clients that are you're asking you to sign NDAs. Is that before you ever get the project, even when you're bidding on it? Or is it something? Correct. Where, okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. We can't say that we're bidding on it. Wow. Uh, especially companies that, um, you know, that might be fruit shaped or, uh, <laughs> but there's, they, they don't want anybody to know anything about anything about what they're doing. Uh, part of which, because it, impacts competitive advantage, part of which it impacts the stock market and they can't be perceived to be conveying insider information uh, to parties or, or another. So it's not, it's not, they're not just um, disclosure. Uh, there are certain actions. If we're, if we know about uh, some big thing that's happening and uh, that might compel us to go out and buy some stock in that company, uh, we're, um, uh, we are uh, insider trading at that point and have signed off in writing that that, that is the case. So it's information not available to the public. Uh, it's a big deal. And, and social media has made it uh, instantaneous and irreparable. You can't, you can't take those things back. Uh, I'd, I'd seen a note on, uh, <laughs> on Twitter today uh, from a friend in the industry that said, think very carefully before unfriending somebody on Facebook, uh, because uh, it's one of those things in life that you can never take back or fix. No, absolutely. Um, and, and in business. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I think they have like a mute feature now where you can just like mute someone on Facebook for a couple, couple days and <laughs> they'll eventually come back if you get frustrated with their you, political you views. You can do it longer than a couple of days. <laughs> not, not that I would know that. Yeah. Um, Nate, actually, Brock brings up a good point about, about social media. H how do you keep that then? Is it something where you just have a real good, you know, my, an old boss of mine used to call it a come to Jesus meeting. Uh, where you say, look, you know, look, guys and gals, this is what's happening when we're on this site. You know, we're either going to confiscate your phones or, or this, that, and the other. How do you, how do you keep it when you've got, you know, a team working on a project? Yeah, I guess I'd have to think hypothetically. It's not a, a situation I've been in recently where I've had to think about that um, with an NDA. But um, you know, I've heard stories from people that work. Um, well, it's not so much NDA, but more security when they're working in certain places in the Middle East. But, um, I, I, you know, I think, I think it comes down to what the purpose of the NDA is. And I think, uh, you know, Brock and Dennis kind of, you know, touched on that, where is this, is this like a marketing thing to build hype 
or is this, you know, to make people feel like they're part of a special club or is there, you know, something more, is it like a security thing or there, you know, I don't know. There, there could be different, different reasons for it. I guess I would ask a question to you, Tim, when you got flown out or you flew out to Virginia for the Avixa uh, unveiling. Did they make you sign an NDA or is that a different type of legal document? Because I know a whole bunch of people flew down mm -hmm. and then it was like 6 p.m. on a Tuesday that you could officially talk about the news after their press conference. What, was that an NDA or is that something different? So uh, I'll go through it as much as I can and, and actually Brock was there, there as well so I'll, I'll pick on him too. Um, we didn't know. We, we had no clue. We had zero clue as to what it was about. Um, I, and I believe that the NDA has, has expired, so I can talk about this now. But um, they, they simply asked us if we were available, right, on, on a certain date. Um, it was actually almost a year ago now because it was the week after Cedia. And uh, we get there, and, you know, they bring us into a room. They do a presentation, and they had us sign an NDA, you know, I, I believe at that point, And it had a specific time that day uh if, if i'm remembering correctly again, it was a year ago uh but it wasn't a very long in you know it wasn't a very long nda but it was an nda for that day and there was a you know a, a time when when they could do it and the time actually coincided with when they were doing the presentation uh with the the uh, influencers and, and other media or other other um av professionals that they had brought in uh for this event uh, which okay was a part yeah Okay, that's interesting to me. So yeah, I don't, I don't really have too much more other, you know, insights to offer on NDAs. You know, I just haven't had enough experience with it. I guess I, I, I'm curious about it. Uh, what I've typically been involved with is just confidentiality agreements, non-competes, you know, things like that, but not so much like a, a specific N NDA. Yeah, very good. All right, guys, that is going to wrap it up uh, for us as we all, uh, you know, head off for the weekend. Um, Mr. Brock McGinnis, thank you so much, sir, as always. Uh, pleasure, Tim. And uh, sorry, it's been so long since I've been available to be uh, uh, to be back. Uh, anytime, sir. It's the summer. How do people? Uh, I get it. Uh, how do people find you uh, and or Westbury, sir? Uh, we're at westbury.com. I'm uh, Brock.m at westbury.com and at Brock McGinnis on Twitter, uh, where every once in a while I spend a bunch of time. Yeah, it depends. Um, also, uh, Mr. Nate Snyder, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. It's been fun uh, talking with you. People can look me up. I do a monthly podcast called AV Shop Talk, and uh, I share my, my thoughts on AV technology and sometimes have interesting guests on. And um, lately, not so many guests, mostly just me coming up with interesting things to say. But I uh, love talking with people, meeting people in the industry, networking. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fun and exciting industry to be part of. Yeah, it's something else that Nate does that's pretty cool. Uh, anytime he goes to Infocom, he'll do and, and he'll interview folks. Um, you know, when when he's out and about, and that's that's usually you know one of my favorite ones to listen to. So, uh, check it out. Also, uh, Mr. Dennis Holzer from Powerhouse Alliance. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back. I can be got at dholzer at powerhousealliance.com. Certainly, the group can be got at powerhousealliance.com. And Tim, I guess I'll. See you next week as we head into Cedia for a week worth of what they're saying is new technology. Yeah, it's going to stink. It's in San Diego. And <laughs> it's really, it is really rough. The weather is going to be tough. So, uh, terrible. I feel you. We're all going to have to put up with it. 
you know what is as much as much uh, you know hoo-ha you know uh, we you know different pl- pl- things that we go to around the around the country and around the world this has been the, the last year it was in san diego this year it's in san diego i don't believe it's in san diego again next year so denver. Uh, i'm gonna yeah denver so i'm gonna enjoy uh, i'm gonna enjoy this one so uh, all right guys thank you so much uh for me don't follow me on on the twitters um because the Bears season is not quite over yet, but it's it's close. Uh, <laughs> NFL hasn't even started yet, and I and I recognize that. It's still no Bears. Um, no go Patriots. by the website. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, go by the website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Dennis mentioned it. We will be at Cedia 2018 from the 6th through the 8th of September, bringing you all the stuff uh, from the show floor there. Uh, also, check out our other weekly news program that Matt Scott does, uh, talking about the residential uh, market. Uh, also, while you're there, we have a new uh, webinar coming up about meeting room technology uh, with Victoria Ferrari, Mike Shen, and Ernie Beck coming up at the end of September. So check that out as well. Uh, while you're there, please check out our underwriter section. These are the folks who help us financially and help support us to help us go to Cedia and all the other shows that we do. So check that out, all that and more at avianation.tv, avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. All the time we have for AV Week.